Podcast for America is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. Right now, use our promo code AMERICA for this special offer. Go to Stamps.com and sign up for a no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer, which includes up to $55 in free postage. That's Stamps.com. Enter offer code AMERICA. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Podcast for America, a show from Panoply about the human feeding frenzy, or giant disco party, if you will, that is a presidential campaign cycle. I'm Mark Leibovich, the chief national correspondent for the New York Times Magazine. I'm speaking to you from the Panoply Studios in Washington, D.C., and with me is the wise and witty Annie Lowry, New York Magazine contributing editor. Hi, Annie. Hi, Mark. Alex Wagner is away this week and working to fill her unfillable shoes is our special guest, Jim Rutenberg, chief political correspondent of the New York Times Magazine. Jim, thanks for holding it down in our New York studio. Happy to be holding it down. All right. Um, now, before we get into this, we should just, by way of background, tell everyone that me and Jim and Annie Lowry all worked within, what, about 20 feet of each other at the New York Times Washington Bureau. And Jim was just asking whether I ever used the shower <laughs> on the seventh floor bathroom, but we decided that, that would not be appropriate for the podcast. But I figured I'd throw it out there before yeah, we get started. Yeah, we are we are old frenemies here. Mm-hmm. We have lots of dish to dish. Right. Jimmy, and what do you think? Are we frenemies or just friends? <laughs> enemies, We're friends. Right? I don't go for the frenemy thing. <laughs> Am I enemies or my enemies? Speak for yourself, Rutenberg. All right. Well, it's New York. We're just bringing the love. <laughs> anyway, Jim, uh, thank you for filling in for Alex this week. It's been a heck of a time for cultural decision-making lately. The Supreme Court weighed in on some very, very big issues. First up today, we'll talk gay marriage, health care, and the disappearing Confederacy. With these cultural decisions coming down, we're wondering... Is this just a fluke or a signal that the tide is officially turned in the so-called culture wars? And what good is culture if our leading politicians don't want to talk about it? Also on today's show, we'll sift through the responses made by our leading presidential candidates from the GOP. It's been a colorful variety of backpedaling, repositioning, and digging in, to say the least. And third, did you notice that Chris Christie just dove into the presidential race? We'll talk about that, too. These topics all on today's program, and we'll tie up the show in a pretty little bow that we'd like to call If I Were in Charge at the end. So let's lead off with culture wars. Could it be that the smoke is actually clearing on the battlefield of our culture wars? The Supreme Court has been busy. It made major decisions about health care and gay marriage and even abortion. When we look at what happened last week, I mean, first of all, I'm curious to ask Jim, as someone who has covered the White House, who has covered Obama for years, where you see last week as sort of ranking in the pantheon of his momentous moments and times as president? I think it was like an incredibly affirming week for his presidency. I couldn't help but after everything that happened last week, but to go back to some of the coverage of him in late 2013 when Washington punditry all but declared he could never recover. He could never recover from his lousy first year of his second term. And what last week did was it brought to a close, like two-thirds of his entire agenda in a positive way for him. So there's no question it was a giant week. Well, Annie, I'm actually sort of curious. I mean, do we see this as a victory within the culture or within the Supreme Court, or does one inform the other? Yeah. I mean, I imagine that one informs the other. I, I like to think of the Supreme Court as being like basically just a political body. If you take it as such, it kind of goes the direction that the culture is going. And lo and behold, it, it makes this massive ruling that decides that, you know, we're going to have gay marriage everywhere. And to a certain extent, a, a chapter is closed now, right? Gay couples are going to be able to marry 
it's basically over with. That's that. And I do think it's indicative of the like where the culture is going. One thing that I think is really interesting is that if you look at the recognition of and rights for transgender folks, that is happening much faster, despite the fact that I, I think it's probably a smaller body of people than, than folks that are gay or lesbian. And I do think that these things are speeding up. I think that there are a lot of conservatives that would like to move past this. And I think that this gives them an ability to say, well, look, Supreme Court ruled. This is behind us. Let's focus on, you know, the big things. And by the big things, I mean tax cuts for rich people or whatever. Right. But I would, <laughs> right. But I would also argue, um, I mean, Jim, you might disagree with me, but I, I would also argue that, you know, on one hand, yes, you can say the slate is clean. Right. Yeah. OK, we can move on. We can we can fight this election debate on, you know, matters of economics, matters of mm-hmm. national security, things that are more comfortable, I think, to to the Republican Party. But if you look at the presidential candidates, I mean, there's not a single presidential candidate now who has really gotten out front on gay marriage and actually said, I mean, unless I'm missing someone, I mean, have any like major presidential candidates on the on the Republican side actually say, I support this decision, I support gay marriage? I mean, I think it's still pretty much a shutout, right? Yeah, but they don't have to, right? Like, why, if you were a Republican, would you do anything other than say, like, look, we need to focus on something else? In, unless um, you're Mike Huckabee, Rick Santorum sure. or Ben Carson. And those that part of the sort of, what do we call it now, presidential slate right. um, is going to be making... It's like a mob at this the point. Cluster. <laughs> the, <laughs> the cluster. Um, that part of the cluster gives them something to grab onto and it gives a raison d'etre. How's my French? Very good, man. Not bad, right? But yeah. uh, it gives them something to hold on to, you know, and, and to run on. So because... The people who are most upset about this are the base of their party and the people who vote in certainly caucuses and primaries. But I think that it's such a losing issue in the long term. Um, and I also I just I do think that that there are new battlegrounds to fight on and this is not the hill that they want to die on anymore. Right. Like I think that you're about to see Democrats really tackle the issue of like family leave and women's earnings um, as being the next front. Yeah, exactly. Stuff for little kids. And, and, you know, uh, whereas I think that you'll start to see a lot of Republicans say, hey, like, you know, we aren't social engineers. This is at some point not the providence of the government. This is worse for America and for American workers. And, you know. Providence. That's a great word. Yeah, you know, it's a good one, right? It's a really good word. You don't hear it very often. I want to give Annie. And a nice place to visit. And a really nice place <laughs> to visit. Yeah. And also. I think I confused it with providence. Whatever. No, 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 no. It's good. It's also, it's somewhat divine and it sort of speaks to the rel- <laughs> religious sort of undercurrents of this issue. Um, one, one thing I would actually like to talk about a little bit before we focus purely on the, the GOP. Do you think the president was a, slightly guilty of spiking the football on Friday in bathing the White House in rainbow colors. Was that needlessly triumphant given that what is still a very, very large proportion of the population uh, disagrees on this issue and believes it to be a very, very emotional issue and very personal issue? Um, I mean, is it right to actually use the White House to essentially make a political statement? The interesting comfort is what would the Republican version of this be, right? Like if you if you had some sort of like Supreme Court abortion ban mm-hmm. and it was just like a fetus up there or well, something. Well, you know, I they mean, they would flag. probably, it, it, it's, it's a bit extreme, but I mean, it's not 
completely unanalogous, right? Yeah, no, I guess there so. would be hell to pay. That is true, but there is no uh, such abortion flag. I see what you're saying. <laughs> I'm sure there is. There's like the there's like the bottle yeah. fetus. Actually, I think it's flying outside the New York Times on the it's, sidewalk every time I walk out the door. Actually, yeah. But uh, in fact, though, I have to say yes. I get what you're saying. It really did um, anger those people. I think I'm, I think Paul show a minority who didn't like this decision. That said, it was such a it was as powerful of a political symbol coming from a White House that I've seen in my adult life, I think. I mean, it was a huge statement. Absolutely. And, yeah. And that's the old Obama who his whole campaign in 08 was about these big show-stopping moves. And that was a kind of a classic old Obama show-stopping move. It's, it's fascinating to see Obama when there are no calculations left to make. I mean, yeah. not only is he enjoying a sort of fuck it list kind of you know, second term. Are you allowed to say that on this? We are actually, Podcast? yes. I mean, wow. we try not to go out of our way and we try to be responsible, but you should know that, you know, if you want to swear... I'm going to keep that horse to, in the barn. Keep in my that case. horse in the barn. No, no, you've got to be very judicious about it. But, um, but no, so there's that combined with the fact that, look, I mean, these are very, very real things. And and by the way, things that he he put into motion, but, but it was sort of out of his control. I mean, the, the court could have very easily, um, you know, gone the other way last week, and it could have been one of the worst weeks in his presidency. So I, I, I guess to, to be fair, too, it's first black president defines this maybe belatedly as the great civil rights issue of our times. So there's that, too, you know, which is no uh, Well, thing. yes. OK, so let's talk about belatedly and let's talk about belatedly vis-a-vis Hillary Clinton, um, again, while we're talking about the campaign. I mean, Hillary Clinton's been on a bit of a, of a victory lap the last few days about the Confederate flag, about the gay marriage decision. And look, I mean, she was on the board at Walmart when they were selling Confederate flags, and she didn't do anything. She didn't say anything, you know, like Barack Obama. She was against same-sex marriage, what, like as recently as three years ago. So mm-hmm. it's a very, very, very easy boast to make right now. But I mean, I don't know if the two of them get any particular, you know, hero points on this. No. And what's weird is that I think that she benefits from the same thing that a lot of Republicans will, which is that, you know, the decision has been made to a certain extent. This is passed. So, you know, are people going to critique her for the things that she has said in the past, for the positions that she's taken in the past? Sure. Um, but the truth is she's not going to fight any of this, right? And and for a lot of people, she's going to be kind of on the side of the angels of this, even if she wasn't exactly pushing for it. And and bizarrely for her, it, it, it makes it easier, right? right? You know, she doesn't really have to answer for as much. I think that, that it will be easier for her to run on the culture wars now that, that no yeah. Republican has bothered to sort of even strive for any kind of middle ground. I mean, I guess this sort of leads into our next segment, which is now that the court has spoken, what are the GOP presidential candidates going to speak about, shout about? rail against. I mean, I have a feeling, I mean, there seems no to be no appetite for this supposed clearing of the decks within the Republican um, campaign, right? I mean, look at some of the um, things that Republican candidates have said in the wake of the same-sex marriage decision. Ted Cruz told NPR that his opposition to same-sex marriage will be, quote, front and center in his campaign. Lindsey Graham said on Meet the Press that the GOP should change its official position on same-sex marriage, so that's definitely a hedge. Bobby Jindal said that his state will abide by the court's decision on same-sex marriage, even though he disagrees with the ruling. Uh, Sort of a classic straddling there. Rand Paul says, perhaps the time has come for us to examine whether or not governmental recognition of marriage is a good idea for either party. Um, Sort of doubles down on the libertarian viewpoint, as you might expect. 
Yeah. Well, so I'm interested in, in what Jim thinks about whether it seems to me that that Republican primary voters are not going to care terribly about this stuff. But 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 I want to hear from somebody who's looking at the polls more closely than I am. Um, Jim, tell us. Yeah. I have no polling data to pull out, but I could look some up. I'm sure it would support what I'm about to say, which is primary voters are a small part of the Republican Party, and definitely caucus voters are, right. and they care about these social issues greatly. So I think to Annie's point, what I totally agree with is the Republican Party at large wants to skate past this, and Jeb Bush, I would assume, wants to skate past this. The danger is coming into Iowa, coming into a South Carolina, coming into a culturally conservative caucus state, um, there's going to be a lot of pressure on a Jeb Bush on a debate stage to agree or disagree with a Ted Cruz who says this is our party has to put a stake in the ground here and keep on fighting. And so the big danger is that if it's, again, an establishment moderate GOP nominee, which could be maybe not this year, I think it will be, but who knows, um, that person is going could get hemmed in by a primary that's going to be fought on this ground. Yeah, I mean, it does sort of put to the test the question of whether Jeb Bush can run a quote-unquote general election campaign in the primary setting. I mean, I think he hasn't really caved that much on immigration. Um, I don't think he's pandered that much to the right. Um, and actually, if you look at what he said today, uh, meaning Monday when we're taping about the Confederate flag, he actually said that it was a racist flag to, to many people's eyes. So, I mean, that's pretty far... Um, out there within the Republican field, which, you know, almost to a person was last week at this time talking about how it's a state's issue and it should be left to the states and it's up to South Carolina. But the question is, will Republicans be able to run on anything other than what the front and center issues are today, which happen to be social issues and whether that'll still be true in six months? Yeah, my, my, my guess is that it just won't be, right? Like history has shown us again and again, by the time that you get to a general election, the thing that people care about is, is maybe terrorism, maybe foreign policy, some of that stuff. But it's mostly just the economy. It'll be the sort of same old, same old, big, how much are you getting taxed and what are you getting back for those tax dollars? I mean, I, I do think like beyond Obama's legacy, though, if you look at, at sort of the coalition that the Democratic Party, probably Hillary Clinton, needs to win a general election, I mean, I think that they can feel pretty good about, you know, the kind of votes they can count on in November of 2016 among same-sex couples, people who identify as gay or lesbian or transgender, you know, people who are against the Confederate flag people who, you know, are happy to get, you know, their health care, you know, universal health care. I mean, there's a, not to mention, you know, Latinos, the fastest growing voter block in, in America. I mean, this, this is a very, very big bunch of chunks of coalition to sort of put together. Can you put chunks of coalition together? That's an interesting- They do again and again. <laughs> Jimmy, can you put chunks of coalition together and help us out here? Retweet favorite. Retweet. Very good. Yeah, we're, When in doubt, just lapse into Twitter speak. Yeah, when they're busy coalition chunking. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, you know, I drank, I drank too much last night. I was out coalition chunking. That's how like <laughs> Democrats, that, that's, how, that, that's how they party in Washington. Chunk. Yeah. Thanks. I was about to miss being in Washington. Mm. All right. Anyway, tell us what you think about New York, Washington, and the various culture wars that keep breaking out in skirmishes or big battles or ongoing battles or what have you. Tweet us at Pod for America. That's at Pod for America, all one word. We'll be back in a moment to talk about Chris Christie, but first a word from our sponsor. These days, you can get practically everything on demand, like our podcast, Podcast for America. You want to listen to it, so you tap a button and voila, here we are. So why are you still dealing with your limited hours at the post office? 
when you can get your postage on demand with Stamps.com. Use Stamps.com to buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. Stamps.com is great for your small business. It's a fraction of the cost of a postage meter. Plus, unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes. Right now, use our promo code AMERICA for this special offer, a no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer. That includes up to $55 in free postage. So go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter AMERICA. That's Stamps.com, enter code AMERICA. He did it. Chris Christie took a run and jump and splashed into the presidential primary as expected. Now, if this were about two years ago, Chris Christie you know, might have been, if not a consensus front runner, certainly um, in the top three, the top four. Uh, he was someone a lot of people were clamoring for um, in 2012. He decided not to run. Uh, now that he's in, we'll ask our esteemed judges, Jim and Annie, do you, do you think Chris Christie is a factor? I mean, what what's left of Chris Christie? I mean, he is, uh, you know, he was sort of the it girl of the field um, just a couple of years ago, and now he's one of what nineteen or however many candidates there are. Where do we see Chris Christie, circa late June two thousand and fifteen, as he jumps into this race? Well, you know, <laughs> as you said, he was. We had uh, someone on the Christie beat at the, our newspaper very early because he was this giant contender. Um, you're not fat shaming, are you? I'm not. You know, I didn't. I knew you weight. were going to do that. No, we have to be uh, very careful with our language here. <laughs> he, I didn't mean it that yeah. way. Anyway, all right. He was a um, formidable contender. How's yes, that? he was a very formidable contender. But here's the thing. So yes, he's had a horrible couple year, year and a half. But this is a giant field, right? So let's say ten or twelve candidates have enough money to go the distance in a few states. Then what does one need to win a state? Ten percent of the vote, twelve percent of the vote. So I'm not ready to count. I mean, I may count Trump out, <laughs> but mm. I'm not completely ready to count anybody out that easily when the numbers are so low uh, that you need to win. This is you're just going to be eating crow a year from now. I know it when all of the Trump momentum comes up. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I think that there's a lot of pathos here. I think he really wanted it and really changed his life and changed his weight and did all of these things in order to get it. And then, you know, sowed the seeds of his own destruction. Right. I mean, I think that the issue is that it's just too easy to paint him as being this kind of corrupt, same, same you know, not what the party needs, whatever. It's it's too easy to beat him up now. That's that's what I think. And I think that smart money won't get behind him. I, I think he is certainly a long shot at this point. I, I would agree with Jim, though. It, it is a big field. He, he's also, I want to give- A big field filled hey. with, with yahoos. I, I mean, a lot of, filled with, okay, yes, but the Republican Party is going to vote for, you know, a chunk of them. And, you know, in the first- <laughs> for a few go-rounds, and it will become a smaller, winnowed race at, at some point. And Chris Christie, I mean, it's interesting that his new slogan is telling it like it is. I mean, one of my peeves in politics is the politician who claims to be the only honest person in the race. And I spent a whole bunch of time with Christie during a story I was writing about him last year, and no one is more ostentatious and blunt while being so 
cute and obfuscating as Chris Christie. <laughs> I mean, he is. I mean, look, there are very, wait, very. So w- situate him for me within the pantheon of straight talkers. Like you have your John McCain. I'm saying that there is not. You there, have your Harry Reid. The straight talker thing is largely bullshit, especially when you are. Uh, there's another swear, Jim. What do you think of that? Uh, especially <laughs> when you're sort of saying, hey, I'm the one who's telling it like it is. I mean, Harry Reid has this weird kind of Tourette's. I mean, it's like he's... <laughs> yeah, it does sometimes I mean, seem like he's like bumped his frontal lobe or he, whatever. It's yeah. not a selling point for him. It's not, <laughs> no. although he's, he's it's kind of part of his gr- brand, his anti-charismatic brand. But um, no, look, Christie has been extremely unbold in the last yeah. two years on things like entitlement reform, on things like... Um, you know, whether st- his stand on immigration. I mean, he's ducked every question every which way, you know, for a long, long time and has said, well, if I run for president, I'll answer these questions. I mean, who does that? He's been running for president for like yeah. two years now. Wait, so who who among the announced candidates is the most straight talky? Like, really? Ben Carson. Yeah? Yeah. I mean. Bernie Sanders? Uh, yes. Mm. Here's the thing about Bernie Sanders. He has nothing to lose, right? He He has nothing to lose, but he also like says a lot. He says the same thing he's been saying for years. True, but that's that's like a different metric. Is Rand Paul straight talky? You know, I think he says what he believes, probably more than most. He certainly says a lot of yeah. I mean, I think if he doesn't believe it, I don't know why he's saying it. (laughs) (laughs) He's at his best when he is saying what he believes. Because there was a period where he had the. Mitmentum, and he, uh, <laughs> and he, so when he thought he was going to be maybe a standard bearer, he started kind of moving to the middle a little bit. Do we all yeah. remember that? And and it wasn't a natural fit at all because he was raised and stooped in this libertarianism. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that there's a broad acknowledgement that that Hillary Clinton is like as far away from all of this as you can get. Still, right? Yeah. Still does not quite. Who knows what she believes? Actually, like impossible to pin down in the center. Shadow like. Remember the Lionel Richie song "Still." <laughs> No, which remember, one is that? Remember this? Maybe it was the Commodores. Do you remember that, Jimmy? Uh, I don't. I'm, a, I'm very, uh, it's a very. I understand the oeuvre yeah. very well. I'm very. One I've of my best my memories. But now I have all night long stuck in my head and will for the next fortnight. You're so. gonna have a party. You're gonna have You're a great night. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because one of my few, one of my great and favorite memories of having Annie Lowry as a coworker was <laughs> her educating me on the what was the Lionel Richie Richie video in which he successfully oh. seduces the blind girl hello oh hello Duh. that's right no. uh, Do you before guys want me to launch into that right now people, yes you can if you want but let me just say everyone listen to this podcast when you're done we go google Lionel Richie hello if we can afford like a little clip this is oh, so you have to make this pertinent. Yeah, um, pertinent to, to the like, amazing video because for Chris hello. Christie has said hello to the Democrat to the Republican. Field. You know what? Oh, I'm going to say yes. that Lionel Richie um, lost his voice. He did tragically. He had surgery, really? but he came back, and I think that might that is a story that Christie hopes to a follow. resurrection story. Yeah. So so basically, Lionel Richie, Chris Christie, they're they're allegorically linked, and that I can't think of a better reason to play. Hello. Hello. Is it me you're looking for? Oh my god. I mean I yeah. guess basically Chris Christie wants to successfully seduce the blind girl that is the American voter. The American voter. Does that work? I think we can work yeah. with that, right? Yeah. And history shows that that these kind of blind seductions work out pretty well, if I remember. <laughs> 
Okay, that brings us to our lightning round. To wrap up this week's show, it's time for our weekly blast of suspense and drama that we like to call If I Were in Charge. Today, the cultural edition. Annie and Jim, if you were in charge, what would you introduce, or rather declare, as the next great topic for our cultural debate? Let's start with you, Annie. So since we had the gay marriage ruling in the Supreme Court, you have seen in in the great realm of public opinion on the Internet lots of arguments about how next thruples are going to be able to marry each other and couples with like nine members and there's like lots of things going about you know with oh can you marry a rabbit now and all this other bullshit and it drives me bonkers and uh i would just if i were in charge i would say like let's just cut this off right here right the reductio ad absurdum of this is is not that people are going to be marrying turtles okay Annie, to sum up, so just people stop are it, Mark. not going to be no. marrying. I, I've never said anything <laughs> of the sort. Yes. Um, this is my complaint. Jim, anything you would change if you were in charge? If I were in charge, I would say, why can't everyone just, I would make everyone just be cool. Huh. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of, kind of not. And to pick up where Annie left off, I would insist upon for the next two years or whatever we have left before Election Day of a no bullshit debate. Hmm. No intellectually dishonest. Well, some intellectual dishonesty is inevitable, but no like non-evidence based argument arguments. No. uh, Let's like do real facts, not fake facts, not facts that I can debunk in two seconds on Google, like a real robust debate with no bullshit or minimal bullshit. Maybe we should have both, though. We should have like one bullshit debate just for the fun of it. And then another one that's like actually serious, like you suggest. Just a thought. Okay, I'll take half. No bullshit. This is a very real and I think necessary and probably ultimately will be very bloody, figuratively, debate on the Republican side about the future of the party, about who the real heroes are, who has real conviction, who's willing to compromise. If I were in charge, I would assign five Democrats of my choosing. Frankly, I mean, Hillary Clinton is, I hate to say it, somewhat running unopposed. I mean, yes, Bernie Sanders um, if I were in charge, I'd put Joe Biden in there. I'd put Amy Klobuchar in there. I'd put um, Elizabeth Warren in there, put Tim Kaine in there. It would be a much better debate than it is now. And frankly, Hillary Clinton is having the bulk of her debate against the kind of leftward straw man, the press, herself, her history. And it's not a real debate. That's all for Podcast for America. Thanks to our producer this week. It's Jocelyn Frank. And as always... Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Please let us know what you think of the show. You'll find us on Twitter at Pod for America, or our email address is podcastforamerica at gmail.com. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. It helps other people discover our show. For Annie Lowry and Jim Rutenberg, I'm Mark Leibovich in Washington, D.C. We'll talk to you next time, and thanks for listening.